Okay, so last one of Hebrews dealt with is the series. Now, I, I, I checked this out and I've tried it always through spell checker and anything. And apparently this isn't a word. But the word this morning is get-up-ability. <laughs> and, and Jill said, do I put a hyphen in that when I put it on Facebook or whatever? I have no idea. I just invented it. It's get-up-ability, or if you know, then it's get-up-ability. <laughs> All right? Uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, the great men of faith. And there's so much in here, and, I, and you know, I started talking about it last week and saying, well, it actually starts in, back in chapter 10. And I just want to pull out some principles this morning. I'm not going to go through every example, and nor am I going to just fo focus on one example. But I want to go through some principles. I'm, I'm going to select some verses to give us an idea. So I'm, start, I'm reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, go on to verse 32. So skip down, down towards the end. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell. That's why I'm not doing it all. You know, we'd be here like next week. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And then to verse 40. Well, I, I, I'll go first, 39. All of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. That's, it's talking that they didn't get, it's not that they didn't get the, the answer to their faith. It's saying that Jesus hadn't come yet when it says they didn't receive the promise. For God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The point is, and the point all the way through Hebrews, is that we have a better covenant than all those people in the great hall of faith. Because we are this side of the cross. We have Jesus. And that makes a massive difference. So, if we set our sights, if we set our aim high, we need to set our aim in a way that is higher than what was seen by the great men of faith. Because we have a better covenant. And our expectation should be that we see God move in response to our faith. Now, one of the things that whenever we talk about faith and great men of faith and, and, and you, you tell people and you talk about healing and deliverance and people being set free, people being set free from bondage and you, you talk about all the different uh, things that Jesus did in your life, in, sorry, in his life and, and through his ministry, one of the things that, that comes as a response to that is, well, that was Jesus, 
That was Jesus, and, and he was God-made man. He was God in human form. So he's special, and, and so it doesn't apply to ordinary people. And so my response to that is usually along this line. Well, let's look at what the disciples did. Let's look at, at the disciples who raised people from the dead, who cast out demons, who healed the sick, cleansed people of leprosy, who changed nations, uh, who, who went to the far ends of the earth with the gospel and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And the response again comes, but those were special men. Yes, they were special. But that isn't why the power of God operated through them. They were special people because they believed God. And that's why the power of God operated through them. Now, here's what I want to, to focus on this morning. I'll, I'll make this statement. Every ordinary person, that's Every ordinary person, me starting with me, everybody in this room, every ordinary person has the potential to be special because of the power that is in them through the Spirit of God. Every ordinary person has the potential and ability to do something extraordinary. You might not see that in yourself. You might not think of yourself that way. But you have the potential and ability inside you to move from ordinary to see extraordinary things through your life. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to look at four things that these great men of faith knew and that allowed them to be included in that great hall of faith. Because the great hall of faith is still being written. In heaven, it's still been written. And, you know, I'd kind of like my name to be in there. I'd kind of like all our names to be in there because we have within us the, the, the ability to take what is ordinary about our lives and do something extraordinary through that life. And uh, the reason for that is that when you were born again, you ceased to be who you were. You might, not, you might not know that, you might not realise that, but when you were born again, the person that you were died. Yeah. And you were made, according to the word of God, a new creation, literally a new species of brain. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that all things are made new. All that was past is gone. And that, that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. What that means is, you, you, you can look at yourself, have a, have a good look at yourself right now. You probably think, well, not a lot changed. I'm a bit older than I was then, but not a lot's changed. That's the problem. We look at our outside and say, not a lot has changed. When the truth is that inside, everything has changed. Your spirit was born again, and your spirit is now one with the spirit of Christ. And because of that oneness with the Spirit of Christ, the power of Christ dwells within you. And you need to hear that. You need to hear that because if you don't hear it, you've got no chance of applying it. And that was the problem for me. You know, for, for years, I never heard that. It was, it was something like, I guess, 15 years of my Christian life. No, nobody ever mentioned that to me. I had to find out a lot of these things for myself. 
I had to go. And, and I kept pushing. I kept pushing. I remember every time uh, Cheryl and I, we'd go along to uh, like a Christian bookshop and I'd scan the shelves in the hope that there was a new book there that would tell me something that should, because that, I knew there was more. And I wanted more, but nobody ever told me that the more lived inside of me. Nobody ever told me that I had the Spirit of Christ operative in me. And, and as soon as I understood that, as soon as I understood that God could work through ordinary people, ordinary people like me, to see extraordinary things, then I started praying for people. I started laying hands on, and I saw spine straighten, and I saw eyesight recover, and hearing recover, and, and people with injuries be healed and broken bones healed. What was the difference? The difference wasn't that I was any different. The difference is that I now understood who I was and that that was possible for me as an ordinary person who God had made extraordinary through the Spirit in me. Paul uh, puts it like this in the letter to Galatians, in my one of my favorite verses, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer me that's alive, it's Christ who's living through me. In my spirit, I am wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. In your spirit, you are wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You should be getting excited about that. You're looking like it's, it's Sunday morning. Well, Sunday mornings are exciting. Sunday mornings where you find out in your spirit you are wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. 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 Come on. Right. Now, here's the point. God isn't inside you to be a passenger. He's inside you to get the work done. And the more that we become God-inside-minded increasingly we'll see the ordinary made extraordinary as God moves through us. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's, let's just go back to uh, a little bit in that passage in Hebrews, verse 32. What more shall I say for time would fail me? Tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, etc. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again. Those verses are there to encourage us that what was attained by them could also be attained by us. That's the purpose they're written for. That's why the, the, whoever wrote Hebrews took the time to write down all about these people of faith. Not just so that we'd have something that, that, that was like a, a hall of fame where you like pay an entrance fee and go in, you know, like the rock star hall of fame or something like that. Not, these, these aren't rock stars. These are much bigger these are stars in the kingdom of God. And the reason the stars in the kingdom of God is that by faith they obtained. And the point of it is this. We find out about these guys and they're written down there so that we can realize we can attain the same thing. So we want to know what it is or what characteristics these guys had that enabled them to walk in something 
that we want to walk in. And we can see in our life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at some of the, the really big principles about what these guys did. So, number one, first thing. True faith has a corresponding action attached to it. You can't sit and say, I've got faith without it resulting in action. If you say, well, I've got faith and it doesn't result in an action, what you have is words and information, not faith. Faith results in actions taken on the basis of that faith. And I have to say, I think one of the problems we have in the body of Christ is a lot of us take actions based on our comfort zone. Our comfort zone requires no faith because comfort zones exist because we know we can do it without God. Faith requires us to go beyond comfort zones. It requires us to act in areas where there's risk. Risk that if God doesn't come through, there's failure. But the point is, when we go into those areas and we believe God, he always comes through. But it's a bit like a conundrum, isn't it? I've got to go there and run the risk of falling flat on my face and take actions on the basis of what I believe from God before I see God move. And as long as we stay in this comfort zone of, I can do it, we'll never see God move. And that's, that used to really annoy me because I don't want stories. I mean, the great, I don't want stories about how God moved in other people's lives. The internet's full of that. Conferences are full of that. It's fantastic. But I don't want that. I want to know how God moved in my life. And I want to see him move in your life. Because stories are stories, but when God moves in your life, it changes you. And the examples of these guys in the Faith Hall of Fame was evidenced by the fact that they took action based on their faith, not on their ability. In fact, often people, you know, like people like Moses and Gideon and so on, you find out them explaining to God that they haven't got any faith and they can't do it. And God has to tell them who they really are. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. We end up telling God that we can't do it and we haven't got any faith. And he says, well, let me tell you who you are. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to act. We're going to act on what I told you to do. James says it like this, the, the Apostle James. He says, he's really blunt. You, you read James? Yeah, he's really blunt. It's, I kind of guess it comes from being Jesus' brother. Like, how do you tell your brother off? You know, he, he's blunt, he's direct. And he said it this, like, like this. Faith which isn't producing is dead. Now, that kind of worries me. Because if faith which isn't producing is dead, I look around and I go, how much faith do I see that is producing? Jesus sort of faced up the same challenge. He said, well, when I come back, will I actually find people of faith on earth? Will I find faith on earth? He's not saying, will I find people who are Christians? But will I actually find people who are operating and believing in faith and acting on that faith? You see, when you've got power on the inside like we have, you don't have to go around whining, moaning, 
woe is me, complaining and being cynical. You don't have to do it. You don't have to be like the world. The world doesn't need Christians that look like them telling them that they should be Christians. They need Christians who know that the power of God is inside them and it's not hopeless. They don't have to moan. They don't have to complain. They don't have to whinge. They don't have to criticize. And they don't have to go around judging everybody because they know who they are and they're confident in who they are. But it's great for me to stand here and say all this, but unless each of us as individuals takes takes it up, like grabs hold of the baton and actually acts on it and takes it and believes it, it won't make any difference. Because faith needs corresponding actions. So that's, that's the first one. Second one's this. Faith pleases God. These guys knew that faith pleased God. That's you know, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, I find that uncomfortable sometimes. I find that sometimes a bit difficult to fit in to a lot of other things. So I'm going to help you with that. You see, if faith is pleasing to God, it must mean it's possible to not be pleasing to God. Well, what about grace? Well, exactly. Grace. In the absence of faith, it's not pleasing to God. So we, you know, at a very basic level, that should say to us, is there in my life evidence that I am living with faith in the promises of God and in who he is? Because if I want to live a life pleasing to God, I need to live a life of faith. Not of self-reliance, of faith. And, and I have to ask myself, well, am I doing that? Now, let me try and put that helpful because sometimes you, you can get... Little, when you try and teach something in its fullness, you can actually get slightly out you are pleasing to God because you are loved by him. And you are unconditionally loved as a son of a daughter of his family. There's no doubt about that. I'm not talking about that. How can, how can I put it? Is Jess around? She's in the crest. Oh, well, we're all right unless they're listening in there. But I love my children, Jess and Matt. Yeah? If you, if you don't know them. If you, do, if, you, if you don't know them, get to know them. You'll love them too. But I love my children. And there's nothing that will stop me loving my children. They'll always be my children. However, they haven't always done things that would please me. They've done even more things that would not please their mum. <laughs> they don't always do things that please you when they're growing up. 
In fact, they do things that sometimes are really displeasing and stupid. <laughs> but they will always be loved by us and they will always be our children, unconditionally. In fact, if we wanted to get them not to be our children, there's nothing we can do about it. They are our children. And in the same way, God loves us unconditionally and we're his children. But we, always don't, we don't always do things that are pleasing. Because we have a lot of growing up to do. And our aspiration should be to grow up to do things that please him. So we need to know what the things that please him. And this tells us the things that please him are by faith. And, you know, when you're a son or a daughter, which we, we all are, then something that goes with that is you have a free choice as to how you act. You know, just because you're a Christian, you don't lose free choice. So you have a free choice as to how you act. And you've got a choice whether you will set out to be pleasing in your actions towards people around you, towards the, 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 the body you're in, towards the world outside. And whether you'll, you'll, you'll act in faith towards them. Acting in faith is sometimes doing things like loving people that you don't feel like loving. That's faith. It takes faith. It's a deliberate decision. But the problem is that when I said we walk to all Holy Spirit, we all, the, our spirit is not the only thing in play. Our flesh is also in play. Our unrenewed mind is in play. Our emotions are in play. And they they're, they're in the process of getting changed by God. And because of that, even though you, you, you are a deeply loved son or daughter to God's God, you can end up doing some things that aren't very pleasing. And it's not only your flesh that motivates that. You see, we can get into all sorts of stuff. Some of us, and, and maybe, I, I really felt to say this this morning, but because I, I think it applies to maybe somebody here, maybe more than one person here. But the reason we're not pleasing or doing the things that please God is that we're living from our flesh because we're trying too much to please people. And I don't mean that in a general way, but our lives have become emotionally tied up and connected to whether people are pleased with us or not. Those who are close to us, those we want to be our friends. And, and a lot, you know, some people, and maybe it's you, you can end up living in a way that the, that the most important thing to you is people's approval and acceptance of you. When actually the most important thing is God's approval and acceptance and you are approved and you are accepted and you are loved. But you can, you can end up trying to, and, and living your life, trying to get it right with everybody and trying to please everybody and make everything okay. Well, I've got news for you. You can't this side of heaven. You can't make everybody's life okay by having no life of your own because you're living it and molding it to them. You cannot do it. But what you can do is you can live a life by faith that is pleasing to God and that will change some things. You won't change everybody. 
but it'll change some things. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, just to um, kind of... One of the things we uh, learn at Bible school when you, you look at the principles of hermeneutics is that you never build doctrine from one verse. So if, if I don't give you another verse, it sounds like I'm building doctrine from one verse. There's actually lots of verses that talk about what I'm talking about. But uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 says this. Finally then, brethren, we exert and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So there's certain ways we can walk which are pleasing to God. And there's certain ways we can walk in our flesh that's not pleasing to God. And that's our choice, and we have a choice whether to walk by faith or flesh. Now, these guys in, in this, this great hall of faith, they learned in the course of their lives to walk by faith in God and trust in him rather than from the things of their flesh that were not pleasing to him. Now, if we say some things are going to get a little bit technical with you, or like, this is like your technical moment. If we say that some things are pleasing to God and some things aren't pleasing to God, we want to know what's of value, don't we? Yeah? You want to know what's of value in the kingdom. Because you can do a whole lot of things in trying to please God. And it can do you no good at all. You can do a whole lot of things in the name of religion and it'll do you whole, nothing at all. You can do a whole lot of things right through your life going after God and find out that at the end of it you're no closer in relation to him when you started. Because you're pursuing things that are good but are not the things of eternal value. Let me try and expand that for you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Okay, you, you, if, you, if, you know, if most people know anything out of the Bible, it, it's probably the, these verses. But I'm not going to talk about what love is. Love is patient, love is kind. I'm not doing that. We're going to the end of chapter 13. And we'll go to uh, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I also am known. What's he talking about, anybody? Go on, we can be interactive. Keeps you awake. Pardon? Seeing clearly. When, though? When are we talking about? We're talking about the end, aren't we? When we, we, we get face-to-face -face with Jesus. Yeah, we all agreed on that. Because that's important. When are we talking? Because that's the point when value gets measured. That's the point when we work out whether what we did was pleasing to God or not. And this is what it says. And now abide. These three things are what exist in heaven. These three things are the things that count. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So... If we are going to live lives of eternal value, if we're going to live lives that are pleasing to God, our motivation and focus need... So if we're going to do... Oh, sounds totally different. 
So if we're going to live lives of value, it's got to be from those three places, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. That's why we emphasize, and I talk about love so much, loving God and loving one another. You know, that's why Jesus said, the way the world can tell if you're really my disciple is if you love one another. Not like, do you go to church or do you say you're a Christian or you've got good doctrine or you've got a great guy that's a motivational speaker at the front or you can play guitar. None of those things. The way people tell if we're Jesus' disciples is if we love one another. And so we have to major on the loving one another while we try and get better at all the other stuff. Because the loving one another is the important thing. The loving one another is the eternal value thing. Faith, hope, and love. What about us? This thing about hope. Hope is a value when things look hopeless. Why is it of such incredible value? Because if you can't hope for something better, you can't see it. And in seeing it, you can put your faith into it. Hope is what takes us through times when there seems to be no hope. I know that sounds a bit of a conundrum, but it's also a truth. Hope is what takes us through times when there's no hope. Um, it says uh, that Paul says about Abraham that he hoped against hope. He had hope, and that's what took him through hopeless situations. It's us that say they're hopeless. God says there's always hope. True faith has corresponding action. Faith pleases God. Number three, what makes this work? If you didn't find the first two challenging enough, I'm going to really challenge you on this one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Like, grab your chair arms, you know, like you're going to go take off. Grab your chair arms, because this is a biggie. This is the one that will cause us to fail if we're going to fail. You're going to like, what is it? Whoa. I've already told you, I've read the verse. You go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you need diligence. Say that. I need diligence. I need, diligence. I need more diligence. I'm working on my diligence. It's so important, but this is what lets us down again and again. Because we can set off with the right intentions, but intentions never come to anything unless they're combined with diligence. There are a lot of believers and Christians who will set off down a particular course and the reason that they don't make it and they don't follow through and, and they don't end up having that relationship and life with God and seeing the power of God operate in their life is that they aren't diligent on that course. And, and we have to train our, our thinking and our attitude back because now, right from birth, we're trained not to be diligent. We're trained to expect quick answers. I'll guarantee you right now, 
that while I've been in this meeting, people will have been emailing me. And they will expect answers pretty quickly. And that's how we live our lives these days. And, and as believers, we have to learn that, that almost forgotten skill of diligence. You know, so many people change jobs every six months because they're not diligent and they don't see through. They don't go through. They don't achieve what they could achieve. Now, I need to clarify again because a lot of people try to please God because they think he'll be angry with them and punish them if they don't. That's not right. God's not in that business. He, he, he dealt with all that 2,000 years ago when he punished Jesus on your behalf and he was angry with Jesus on your behalf. So we're not in that situation. But the way we can trust, uh, please God, is to diligently trust him and believe that he is, he, say, he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. You see, part of that was that in coming to God, you have to believe that he is. Not just like he exists, but he is who he said he is. And he can do what he said he can do. And when you pursue that, when you, when you go after that with diligence, with, with effort, with, with passion, with drive, you find out that God is a rewarder of that attitude. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That tells me he's not a rewarder of those who don't diligently seek him. And that's, that's like, that's kind of like one of those... You can put it in a book, can you? Hard truths. You know, that, that's one of those. But it is nevertheless a truth. And, you know, you are not going to see the extraordinary in your life if all you get is me on a Sunday. You don't have to be quite that enthusiastic, but yeah. <laughs> You're not. You're not going to get that. Because all I can do is I can set out a framework and a guide. But I can't build your relationship with God for you. You have to do that. I can't love other people for you. I can love them for myself, but I can't do it. You have to do that. You have to choose to do that. You have to choose to do that when it's uncomfortable and you don't want to do that. You see, in the natural, some people are lazy, easily distracted, and they never achieve success. In the spiritual, some people are lazy, easily distracted, and they don't achieve success. It, it's the same. And I know we don't like that, but these people in the whole of faith understood that they needed to diligently follow through on what God gave them to do. And it was, it was never easy. Now, here's, here's another truth. God is not the one determining how much of the kingdom you see in your life. I don't, I don't know if you realise that, but he's not the one. 
God's not the one determining how much of his presence you have in your, in his, in your life. He's just not. It's you that's supposed to draw near. It's you that goes after him. It's you that, that, that steps out in faith. It's you that goes into that zone of, of faith risk. It's, it's you that, that determines the amount of relationship you have with God. You're not going to have a great relationship with God unless you diligently set aside time to build your relationship with God. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it drives me crazy. It, you come across some, some people and they think like, all I need is get paid for at the end of service, so-and-so to lay hands on me, and my life will be different. No, it won't. Honestly, it won't. There might be some healing takes place. There might be some uh, change takes place. But unless you diligently follow through with God yourself, it won't change your life. Not to the extent you need it to change. Now, that word, um, that, that phrase, because I, I like this, it's kind of an old word, isn't it? Diligently seek. It's from a Greek word, and I can't say it, exetio. I'll spell it, E-K-Z-E-T-E-O. You can try and pronounce that to yourself in your head. E-K-Z-E-T-E-O. And it means to zealously seek for something with all your heart and strength and might. To seek something passionately, having set your heart on it. And what I want, you to, what I want to do this morning is encourage you to set your heart on going after God. Not set your heart on all the other things that are going on in your life, but set your heart first and foremost on going after God. And then you will find that God will change things in your life. Why? Because you are the one determining the amount of God in your life. Now, number four. This is my... My last one, and this is, I, I, think, I think this word should be immediately in the Oxford English Dictionary. Number four, the fourth thing they had, they exercised their get-up ability. So, say that, say get-up ability. Get say it six times quickly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I've got a question, now you've, now, now you've got the word. What makes somebody a winner? Get up ability. Why are they in the hall of faith? Because they got up and did it. Because <laughs> they got up and did it. No, well, actually, it isn't just that they got up and did it, but that's a, that's a fair point, but that was number one. They put actions to their faith. Here's the, here's the point I want to get. Everybody in this room, including me, has been knocked to the floor at some point in their life. A lot of us have been knocked over again and again and again, and it seemed like it would never end. And there will always be opportunities for us to stop. There will always in your life be opportunities to give up. Opportunities to back down. Because everybody gets knocked down at some point. Everybody makes a mess of their own life at some point. You can nod loudly to that one. And some of us get knocked down so hard that we hit the canvas with a thud. You know, like some of us went in the ring with a little, little tiny flyweight. Others went in with Anthony Joshua, you know, and hit the canvas first go. 
some of us got repeatedly knocked down. And it's still getting knocked down. So how's this work for us? Because if the gospel is the gospel, it's got to be real in every situation. So how's it work for us? Well, here's some good news. Every single person in that great hall of faith got knocked down. Every single one of them. And every single one of them messed up themselves. Just think about it. You've got like Noah. Noah sees God's salvation and goes out and gets drunk and lies around naked. And so much does that affect the rest of his family. It goes for generations, the guilt and the shame that comes with that. And then you've got Abraham. Faithful Abraham. Faithful Abraham who lies through his teeth, doesn't follow God and takes Lot with him and then never stops having trouble. And then you've got, you've got Jacob. Now, Jake is a bit more obvious. He's a deceiver and a liar straight off. And Jake could get, you kind of feel like he gets what he's coming from when, when his father, future father-in-law deceives him and, and, and cons him. And then you've got, you've got Joseph. He's in the great hall of fame. Joseph. Joseph that was so proud, so arrogant, he has a vision from God and he hacks all his brothers off so much that they bury him in a pit and sell him. Because he's so proud and he's so arrogant. And, and he ends up in prison. With no, looking like he's got no hope. And then you've got, you've got Moses. Good old murdering, killing Moses. Good old Moses that when God goes and sees him on the backside of the desert when he's got nothing in his life, turns around to God and says, I can't do what you're telling me to do. Good old Moses. David. A man after God's own heart. Adulterer. A ranger of murders. Publicly humiliated by a prophet and comes and tells him his own sins and he's, he's so caught up in them he doesn't even recognise that it's his own sins that are getting talked about. Here's what I'm saying. They all messed up spectacularly. And not one of those things is mentioned in that great hall of faith. Not once. Not once. They're not there. Faithful Abraham, who didn't follow what God told him to do. Why? Why does God call them winners in that great hall of faith when apparently, for large parts of their lives, they weren't? Here's the point. You and they are not a winner because you're perfect. You and they are not an overcomer because you never fail. See, these, these guys understood something which is precious. And this is what they understood. They understood this principle which you see in Philippians. You see, you're going to see it in Hebrews in a minute as well. But you see in Philippians... Forgetting those things which lay behind and reaching forward to take the crown ahead. You can do absolutely nothing about anything that is past. But you can have a different future. They were knocked down 
they messed up, but they had get-up ability. They didn't let their past be there forever. And some of you need to hear that. You do not let your past be your forever. Because, quite honestly, whoever did what they did to you, they've had enough of your life. It's time to leave them. It's time to close the door. It's time to walk away from your past and see a different future. It's because God can create a different future than what you've experienced till two minutes ago. Because the power of Christ is in you. Everything is subject to change. And whatever you've been through, whatever you've thought about, however it's affected you, it can be different. But to be different, you can't find anything in your past that will fix it. You've got to look forward. In, in Hebrews, the writer says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the great men in the whole of faith, us, ordinary people who God wants to make extraordinary, he's talking about, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Weight and sin is what we lay aside. Not just sin, but weight. Things of our past. Things that have entangled us. Things that have easily ensnared us. And let us run with endurance the race that says before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who did the same thing, looked at the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you, this, this, fi you know, this, this final part of this series in Hebrews, I want to encourage you to take what you've been given, to use the inheritance you've been given. Know the freedom you have as a child of Christ. Know that you can't earn anything from God, that it's all yours. It's an inheritance to be received by faith. And I want you to do that. And I want you to, to set your sight that you're going to be diligent about that. You see, the one who is a winner, the one who overcomes is this. It's not that they didn't get knocked down because they did. The one who is a winner is somebody who gets up one more time than they got knocked down. Yeah. That's a winner. That's an overcomer. Yeah. One more time than you got knocked down. Yeah. And some of you need to get up now. You need to, you need to get up. You need to uh, forget, not, look, not determine in your heart that you've closed the book on the past. And the future is going to be different. So get up, dust yourself off, look to Jesus. And, and I'll go back to those, those people that, that we first came across, like, like Gideon. Like Gideon, he did this. He, he, he's, got, he's part of a tribe who wouldn't cross the River Jordan. They wouldn't fight. And whose people and all everybody around him were cowards. And he was a coward. And he's hiding. And God comes to him and he says, get up, you mighty man of valour. Was it, was it that he wasn't a coward? No, he was. But God saw that his past did not determine his future. That he, he, he had the different, the potential, the ability to be different, to take what was ordinary about himself and live extraordinary. Barak, Barak is so insecure, he hides behind a woman. He hides behind a female prophetess and he shoves her in front of him. And she ends up getting most of the glory. But at the same time, he musters an army of 10,000 men. Get up like him. 
to God. You, you get up and you destroy the enemy. You don't hide. We are winners. Like Samson. Samson loses all his strength through his own stupidity. And yet he comes and he, he turns it around and he tears down the pillars that are holding him. And I, just like that, Samson is saying to us, you get up because you are strong inside. It's not just external things that make you strong. The strength is inside. The Holy Spirit inside. And like Jephthah, you might not know so much about him as compared to the three, but he was an illegitimate kid. He, he got rejected. He got driven out by his own family. And yet he became the deliverer and defender of a nation. And God says to him, get up because you are not defined by what has gone on the outside. You are defined by what is inside you. Amen. So let's get up. Let's stand. Here's the truth I want to speak over you. Get up because you are not ordinary. You are extraordinary because you have Christ in you. Therefore, everything is subject to change. By the power of God in you. So right now, I want to pray over you. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Thank you. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for all that you have done in our life. I want to thank you that these great men of God were ordinary men like us. Ordinary people who lived extraordinary lives because you did it through them. Ordinary people who realised it wasn't their ability, but their faith in you that made the difference. And Lord, I ask that we would be a people who think like that. A people who are not bound by our past, but are looking to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, I thank you that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek them. And Lord, I express the desire that we would be a people who diligently seek you, who go after you as our first priority. So thank you, Lord. Praise you. And Lord, right at the end of this passage, it says that we look forward... Yeah, we look forward. Sorry, they were looking forward to what was a better promise. But Lord, I thank you that we now have that promise. And there is power inside us and there is power because of he who dwells in us. And his name is Jesus. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I choose now to worship you and praise you and declare the authority of the name of Jesus over my life and recognise the power of Jesus in my life. Amen.